This evening's reading is from Romans 13, um, verses 8 to 14. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be, are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently, as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Well, we're going to look at uh, chapter 13 uh, of Romans, and before we do that, let's just bow our heads and uh, pray together. Dear God in heaven, you know each of our hearts, and you know the reality and truth of our lives. Uh, We put on many pretenses, but uh, you know what's really going on. And we ask, Lord, that uh, whether we're very new to Christian things or familiar with them, that tonight you'd help us to concentrate, help us to understand what this passage means. Help us to hear the voice of your Spirit speaking to us through your words. And we pray that we might not uh, close our eyes and our ears and our hearts, but we might listen and be willing to change the way we think in accordance with what you say to us now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the truth is that um, although our numbers are low tonight because it's a bank holiday weekend... And we might kind of think, oh, how lovely, it's a holiday weekend. Actually, we come to uh, the end of a very, very bleak week. Uh, A very low time in this nation's history. Uh, When you think about it, this last week and what's happened in Parliament uh, must be something of a low point in the history of this country. It doesn't get much worse than what has been legalized this week. You may not have realized that because the press won't present it that way. And uh, we need to go to God's word to find out how we're to respond to what has happened. Those in Parliament who claim to represent us, although I think that claim is becoming more and more doubtful, have approved this week of enabling stem cell research on unwanted embryos, who will then be disposed of, the creation of animal-human hybrid embryos, who will then be disposed of, the disposal of further embryos who are not wanted as saviour siblings, and they've left the abortion uh, age possible right up until 24 weeks, 
And even for those who, who don't understand or refuse to face that embryos are very small people, it is still obvious that at 24 weeks, and for some weeks before that, embryos are fully formed and shying away from pain. How are Christian churches to respond to such shocking legislation? I mean, you kind of get used to it, don't you? You sort of get punch drunk. You just get used to bad news from Parliament. But every so often you need to stop and say, this is really dreadful. I've said before that I'm sure we'll look back on, on this time as we now look back on slavery. We'll ask ourselves in the future, or perhaps our children, our grandchildren will say, Mum, Dad, Grandma, Grandpa, how was it that in your generation people treated the vulnerable in that way? That's what we now say of the slave trade. How could people, how could people have got to the view that the slaves were somehow subhuman? I mean, it's the same thing we ask of National Socialism in 1930s Germany, isn't it? You know, how could people be taken in by the, by the government and the government scientists were saying so as to treat one very large portion of society as somehow subhuman? How were they persuaded to see people in that way? How have we been persuaded to see very small, vulnerable people in that way? I'm fully aware that many of the MPs who voted in favour of the uh, legislation this week. If you'd said to them, if, if they were persuaded, they'd be horrified to think that they'd been disposing of little people. But they've been persuaded, you see, to think otherwise of embryos, small people in their mother's wombs. I think we have to say with um, genuine humility, may God have mercy on us as a nation. Of course, some atheistic scientists will be celebrating that Britain is now leading the way in such te technological advance. I've not heard of any other nation that's gone as far as we have. But of course, many believing scientists along with them will grieve as Britain has plumbed new depths in moral degradation. If you want to talk more about the medical issues uh, involved, there are, there are doctors here you can talk to, you can talk to Tracy, you can talk to, uh, where's Jason when you want him? There he is, talk to Jason. They know what they're talking about. Talk to them. And in the week after we read in Romans 13 last week that we must submit ourselves to governing authorities, but within the limits of God's law, how are we to respond? Of course, we should be refusing to be involved in such procedures ourselves. We need to keep going. We need to keep campaigning to hold back the tide going further out and to vote somehow to reverse it. But it seems to me that this passage that's just been read actually provides the answer to us as churches. How are we to respond to this kind of legislation? See, God's word tells us to love one another and to wake up in our behavior. And it struck me that it's not too much to hope that our church, alongside other churches across the land who want to be faithful to God's word, might yet seek to respond to such ethical decline and might yet fill such a moral vacuum with communities of love and purity that behave very differently to the society around us. Now let's be honest, we are all implicated in these crimes. 
By degrees, all of us have colluded with these evils. We have tolerated too much. We have even approved of the selfishness that lies behind these moves. I know that uh, within this building, some of us are responsible for abortions. Some of us will have had abortions. The problems are not out there, they're in here. Many of us grieve and feel shame for our part in abortions. And of course, all of us are sexually immoral in one way or another. We're all implicated. We're just an ordinary church of modern British people gathering on a Sunday evening. The fantastic news of Romans, the great news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, is that that is why Christ died on a cross. It's because of what we like that God took flesh and died in our place on the cross. He still loves us despite what we do. And maybe some of us need to hear that in ringing clarity tonight as we talk about these issues. God loves us passionately. That is why he came. That is why he died on the cross. To suffer the wrath we deserve, that we may not suffer it ourselves, that we might be free of it, that we might be free and forgiven, and we might unload all the shame and guilt and recognize that he took it on himself. We're all forgiven when we come to Jesus Christ, and we can all change by the power of his spirit. Which is brilliant news. You see, we can be a community that is different because we're forgiven and we can change. Now that community is described here in chapter 13, verse 8. But it really goes back to chapter 12, verse 1. I wonder if I could just turn you back to chapter 12, verse 1. Because the the passage we're reading tonight is really the conclusion of a section begun in 12 verse 1. Where the apostle writes, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The section from 12.1 to the end of chapter 13 is all about our response to the mercy of God. The earlier chapters, you see, have shown us where we can find the righteousness that we need. None of us is righteous. Many of us have made a total pig's ear of our lives and we know it. And we ask ourselves, where will we find the righteousness we need to live with God? And the wonderful news of Romans is that God has provided it in Jesus. His righteous life, his perfect Christian life, even unto death on a cross, lived for us. Now that has been provided for us in his mercy, he's given us what we need. And the worship that God requires in response is sacrificial holiness. No longer conforming to the world around us, but being transformed and renewed in our thinking and attitudes. Uh, we've seen uh, in recent weeks that so this includes humble service in the church, 12, 3 to 8. Devoted love and enduring forgiveness, 12, 9 to 21. Submission to governing authorities, 13, 1 to 7. And now he concludes his exploration of sacrificial worship with two simple principles, the fundamental principles, behind the worship of our lives in response to God's mercy. Love one another, that is, love one another to fulfill the law of the past and wake up to the behavior now required 
for the future. Firstly then, love one another because love fulfills the law. Let's remind ourselves of the verses. Uh, Let's go back to chapter 13 and read verses 8 to 10 just quickly. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't covet, and whatever other commandment there may be, are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Now, it's striking, verse 8, because in verse 7, just before it, Paul has been urging, as we read there, give everyone what you owe him. So, if you owe tax, pay your taxes. If you owe revenue, revenue. If you should give respect, then give it. If honor, then show it. But there's one obligation to other people that we should never pay off. Verse 8, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. So honor all your debts, repay them as agreed, do what you've contracted, but never seek to be free of the debt that we owe to each other to love one another. It's a strange thought, but actually when you think about it, some of us, you see, can be rather proud and can be rather fiercely independent. We want to live without commitment to others in the church. We can actually resent the idea that we owe anything to anybody in church. We don't want to feel burdened or indebted to them. And certainly our culture indulges the selfish independence of our hearts. I owe nothing to anybody. You know, I look after myself. And let everybody else look after themselves too. That's the way to create loneliness. But God will not allow his people to avoid each other like this. God's people are to feel and to be indebted to one another in love. We have an obligation to give love. I owe you love. And you owe me love too. And we have a right to expect it from each other. And we certainly can't claim to worship God if we don't love one another. We can sing all the wonderful songs to the beautiful music we're hearing. We like. If we're not loving one another, we're not worshipping God. We owe one another love. It's a great community to be part of because everybody else feels they owe us love too. And the reason we must love is plain in verse 8. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The law that God gave to Moses for Israel, most famously the Ten Commandments, is fulfilled and kept by loving one another. Now that law was given to Israel for a period to show them their need of the Saviour. And although all its condemnation was taken by Christ on the cross, the law remains a good expression of God's character and will. So if we want to please God, if we want to worship God with our lives, we must pay attention to his law and learn what he wants us to do to please him. Now we do so in the light of the gospel. And in fact Jesus helps us to understand how to keep the law in a lot of his teaching. So we keep the law of the Old Testament as Jesus teaches us to keep it. Now, Paul explains that the fundamental principle behind all God's laws, the heart and soul of God's laws, has always been loving people. You remember Jesus himself said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind. That's the first and greatest commandment. And the second's like it, love your neighbor as yourself. 
all the law of the prophets hang on those two commandments. So Paul expands on what Jesus said by quoting the last four of the Ten Commandments concerned with loving each other and says that they're summed up in the one rule, love your neighbor as yourself. It's actually a verse from the law, Leviticus 19. It assumes that we love ourselves, and that's obvious, isn't it? We, we care for ourselves, we protect ourselves, we provide for ourselves. It's quite normal, nothing wrong with that. But the law says, yes, but love others in the same way. Treat others as you would like to be treated. You see, it's vital to understand the relationship between law and love here. Our obedience to God's laws must be an expression of love for other people. We can't regard ourselves as keeping God's law if we do so without love. You know, we sort of um, strut around holding our braces, feeling proud of ourselves that we haven't murdered anybody, but actually it's not out of love for anyone else. For as Jesus explained in the Sermon on the Mount, do you remember, he said, look, the law don't commit adultery is deeper than just not committing adultery. You can't claim to keep that law if we're going around lusting in our hearts because we're not loving those whom we're lusting after. Neither are we loving their present or future marriage partners either. Adultery is unloving to them because it treats them as the object of our lust, as an object rather than a person in relationship, a body to be exploited by us rather than a person to be in loving relationship in accordance with God's word. You know, don't murder. The reason why, you can't say you keep the law, the law you don't murder if in fact we go around hating one another. Of murder is unloving because you deprive somebody of their life. And of course, when you hate someone, you also, you're not being loving because you're, you're wanting to diminish their life. You wish them harm. A stealing is obviously unloving because it deprives people of things that belong to them. Coveting. You think, well, coveting's, you know, I just feel a bit envious, a bit jealous. It's a private thing. No, it's not. Because it affects your attitude to somebody else. You can't love them in the same way when you're envious of them. So you see, the laws, are to, the laws of God are to be kept in a loving way. We're to keep God's laws for the best interests of other people. But love can't be expressed without law. You see, the love of Christians is to be expressed in keeping God's law. For example, not committing adultery, not murdering, stealing, or coveting. You see, love is not just a kind of vague sentimental affection. When the Beatles wrote you know, or sang, you know, all you need is love... Uh, Well, that's actually exactly right, but it's not what they meant in practice. It's not just, oh, you just abandon all God's law and just feel a vague sentimental affection for everybody, whatever they're doing. You see, love is to be expressed in keeping God's laws towards them. So don't commit adultery against people. Don't murder or hate. Don't steal and take from them. Don't covet and be jealous. So express your love in God's law. Of course, that's how Jesus did it, wasn't it? Christ who showed his love in keeping God's law towards people and kept God's law in showing his love for people. So to the rich young ruler who said, what must I do to be saved? He said, keep God's law and come and follow me. He observed the Sabbath law by healing on it, seeing that the heart of the law was to love the weak. So you see, there's no point screaming about God's law if we've got no love for the people. Which brings us back to where we began. There's no point screaming at the legislators. There's no point screaming about abortion if we're not going to love the people who are in the situations 
where abortion is happening. So we'll need to love those who find themselves in the agonized situation where an abortion seems the appropriate action. Is it possible that in our church community, is it possible that through our options crisis pregnancy service, in which so many of our commission members serve as counselors, that we might so love the women who find themselves in the emotional agony of an unexpected and unwanted pregnancy, that we might help them find a genuine alternative to disposing of their child, an alternative to later regretting it. Is it possible that we might so love the unborn child that we could provide the family support as a church or as a group of churches, that we might actually supply foster care and adoptions with so many who long for children unable to have them, to actually offer it to to the mums who can't bear to bring up a child? Could we not give those unwanted children a chance to know God's love? It seems to me that Christian churches are going to have to, we're going to have to think about doing that. We can't just watch hundreds of thousands of unborn babies be disposed of every year in this country and do nothing about it. If you don't know about the, uh, the Options Crisis Pregnancy Centre, it is based down in Wimbledon. Um, you can get leaflets from the, from the, the office here. Uh, there are trained counsellors. This is a serious business for us or for people that we know who want help to think through the issues in an unwanted pregnancy. Options is a serious and medically supported service that we supply. Do get details from, uh, from staff or indeed, uh, well, from the staff will do. Is it possible that in our church community and through our Westminster Act One ministries amongst those working in government departments that we might commend an alternative way of life that doesn't result in irresponsible pregnancies such that the vast majority of the 200,000 unborn children aborted each year will not be disposed of because they're inconvenient. Could we offer a more responsible approach to sexual behaviour? Which brings us to the second point the Apostle makes. Wake up, because the day is almost here. Look with me at verses 11 to 14. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and don't think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Well, I don't know what your flat is like in the morning when the alarms go off. In, in our um, house, it's, it's chaos. Uh, if you didn't know, we've got five children. And um, so every morning, I, I seem to be the first up. And I'm charging around, you know, wake up, wake up, wake up. Don't you know what time it is? Quick, get dressed. Come on. Get out your pajamas, get into your school uniform. Come on, somebody else get him up, somebody else get her up. Somebody feed them, someone put them in the car. And, and it all happens in about half an hour. You've got five children out the door and on their way to school. It's, it's amazing. It's, a, it's kind of sort of um, clockwork process. I don't quite know how it all happens, but we've all kind of, we've all understood now. But every morning, wake up, wake up. And the apostle is saying that to to the, to the Christians. Wake up from your moral drowsiness. Wake up from your lethargy. Wake up up from not caring. Wake up from, from the behavior that you've been indulging in so long. 
Worship God in the ways that I've been describing in, in chapters 12 to 13. Because of the time we live in. Don't you know what time it is? He says. What time is that? Well, verse 11. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now. Now, um, obviously, you know, in the first century, the apostle didn't know how long it would take before Jesus came back. But in one sense, it's always imminent, isn't it? He might come back tonight. He might come back tomorrow. Okay, we might die before he comes back, but even our life is not very long. I can tell you, I'm 47 now, and it's absolutely hurtling. I don't know what happened to the last 20 years. It was kind of blinked. I was, I was your age once. I know you can't believe it. I was your age once. And these years are just flying past, and it's getting quicker and quicker and quicker. I'll be dead soon. Ta-da. It does happen like that. It happens so quick. And then there's eternity. And so our salvation is near. Our time in this world is nearly over. The struggles and misery and pain of this life, they're nearly over. Jesus is on his way. He's nearly here. Just round the corner. Could be tonight. Verse 12. The night is nearly over. The time of moral evil, of Satan's power in this world, of spiritual confusion and moral confusion that we see all around us, this darkness that's descended over this world. It's nearly over. It's like, you know, those early hours of the morning. I don't suppose you've ever seen them. But what happens is the sun comes up. And when the sun comes up, there's this kind of light that kind of, you know, gathers in the sky and the horizon and uh, spreads across the world. Well, that's where we are. The light's just beginning to come. The night is nearly over and the day is almost here. The day of the Lord when he comes in his glory, full of light, full of truth and purity and a renewed creation. The Lord's nearly here. So says the apostle, get out of your pyjamas. Put aside the deeds of darkness. Let's put aside, verse 12, the deeds of darkness. Renounce the old lifestyle. He gives three pairs of behavior here, orgies and drunkenness, sexual immorality and debauchery, dissension and jealousy. Now, um, let's not be too coy about this. Um, I, don't suppose, I don't suppose many of us are kind of in all this kind of stuff all the time, but many of us have lived this way in the past, and certainly we work amongst and live amongst people who do live this way. Um, orgies, I mean, the original word really means riotous parties and drunkenness. And okay, at our church dues, that isn't what it's like. But after work on a Friday evening, you know when people go off for work, you know when they head off for a drink and then go on to a club and then on to another club, that's where it ends up, isn't it? Uh, when we go to parties, I mean, you know, I, I don't know, but I think a lot of us would be going to parties where this is actually quite normal. They are rioters. They are drunken. People do crazy things. On a Monday morning, everybody boasts about what they can't remember they did. Isn't that how it goes? And, of course, uh, then there's sexual immorality and debauchery. Well, sexual, sexual immorality is all sexual activity outside of marriage. Because God gave uh, sex as his wonderfully precious gift to glue a husband and wife together in marriage. It's a wonderful gift. But when we use it outside of marriage, it, it, you know, it's te- it, 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 it wrecks lives. Many of us have discovered that the hard way. So whether it's uh, sexual behavior, experimenting, as they call it, sexual immorality is what it is, whether it's uh, addiction to pornography, many of us will be struggling with pornography. Whatever kind of sexual immorality and debauchery it is, 
It may just be we're just consumed with fantasizing about it. That kind of lifestyle where we're consumed by it, we're just thinking about it, we're longing for it, we're pursuing it, it just belongs to the night time. It belongs to the night. And then there's uh, dissension and jealousy. You know, arguing and division and fighting and trampling over people to get where we want to get to. It struck me that it seems to me that, I mean, in our experience, wouldn't it be true that each pair leads to the other? Isn't it true that a lot of us here in church have made dreadful mistakes sexually because we got drunk? Isn't that how it happened? Isn't that what's happened to our friends? That we're now carrying around the baggage of the past and all the wreckage that we did not want to bring into a marriage. We're carrying it around because we drank too much. So can I say to, to those of you who kind of are actually more innocent sexually, uh, hang, hang in there, hang on. And uh, don't let yourself, uh, don't believe the lies. There are plenty of people here who've been taken in and will tell you, hang on, they wish they were where you are now. I, used, I didn't realize that. I remember when I was at university walking home from parties, I always used to go home, and everybody else would pair up, pair up and they'd all be bonking like mad and around their, you know, their student flats and so on. And I used to walk home as a Christian thinking I was missing out. And I still, I kept up with all of my student mates when we came to, to, to London. I remember seeing them a few years later and so on. And it was very striking uh, on more than one occasion, people said to me, I wish I was like you. Uh, you know, not really like me. But what they meant was, I wish I was a Christian. I, I wish I hadn't given myself to other people. I wish I was a Christian. And it suddenly dawned on me that God knew what he was doing. And all that time I thought I'd been missing out, and I hadn't been missing out. For those of us who've made mistakes, don't make it again. What's your drink limit? Have you got a drink limit? London is absolutely swamped in alcohol, isn't it? Uh, increase, is it 4,000 increase in women's drinking, binge drinking, whatever it is? I, I don't know what, what period, over what period that's happened. But clearly it's not just a male thing now. All right, London is absolutely sw- swimming in alcohol. And we need to have limits. What is it, what's yours? Is it uh, one pint or two pints? Half a side or a whole pint? What's your limit when you turn to fizzy drinks so that you're not the one left vomiting outside the, the bar or the one who's regretting for the rest of your life what you did? Sorry to sound like Dad, but it's just common sense, isn't it? And doesn't that lead to the sexual morality and debauchery that we, we later regret? So in the cool light of day, when you're at church, get your mate to help you. If you don't know how to put, put a net nanny on your computer, I never know. I just got one of the staff to put net nannies on all the staff computers. Just assume everyone's tempted and get a net nanny on everybody. If you run a home group, get somebody technical to put net nannies on all the, all the computers. I don't even know what they are, but just get them on there. Because actually, in the cold light of day, you're so glad. If you're in a flat and you've got Sky Television, someone puts the codes in. Yeah? Get the young, you know, get the Christian, strong Christian girl to stick in the codes. You know, and, you know, get someone to put in the codes. So you can't watch the stuff that in the cold light of day you wish you hadn't seen. It's true, isn't it? In your better moments, when the, when the good man's in charge, not when the evil brute is, when the good man's in charge, get someone to do something that prevents the sin we'll later regret. And, of course, dissension and jealousy comes from it. Aren't so many problems to do with the sexual behavior we've been involved with? 
And put on instead, says the apostle, take off the old way of life. Get rid of it. It doesn't belong to the kingdom of God. Instead, put on the armor of light. This uh, image of the armor of a soldier that defends us against the evil, the the attacks of the evil one. Uh, It's interesting, in Ephesians 6, what we're putting on actually are the convictions of the gospel. To, To firmly believe the gospel. And offensively, that is with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, to to actually attack those kind of ways of thinking that assault us and tempt us to sin. Behave decently as in the daytime, says the apostle, as citizens of the kingdom of light. And actually you'll enjoy it. It's much more enjoyable living by God's way, without all the shame and guilt, the complications, and of course the disease and the problems that come with it. And says the apostle, clothe yourselves with Christ. It's striking because, of course, the apostles spent the whole book explaining that we now have the robes of righteousness promised in the Old Testament. They've been provided in Christ. That's right. The perfect Christian life, like robes to wear before God. They're ours now. And in these verses, the apostle says, so wear them. Wear them. Put them on every day. Live a life of righteousness such as Jesus lived. And not in this, uh, this immoral way. Could we be, could we be a community that actually commends the world around us in all the pain of all this sexual immorality and sin? A better way of life. The apostle actually says, don't even think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Let's not be coy about this. I mean, you know, we're all prone to fantasizing about this, that and the other, aren't we? Now that the apostle is saying, don't fantasize about sin. In other words, it seems perfectly right for me to daydream about things that are good and right. If you're married, to fantasize about your marriage partner. If you're not yet married, to you know, fantasize about someone who one day, you know, your, your ideal Christian marriage partner. In other words, something that is good. But not about somebody else, not about something that is evil and wrong. Don't go there in your thinking. Think of something else. You know, if it's daydreaming about things, you know, I, I, I don't know... Sometimes women say to me that um, maybe sometimes for some women, porn is not the issue so much. It's often they daydream about the ideal situation, this absolutely superhero man, this ideal life, this kind of longed-for perfection, which, of course, is only ours in Christ and in the new world. So I can't claim to, to understand that entirely. But whatever that is, that daydreaming, that longs after things that are actually not uh, given to us in this life. Well, whatever that is, says the apostle, don't think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Don't indulge that selfishness. We can make a difference. We can be different. You see, in a week when this country has made such dreadful decisions, how do we make a difference in this country? It seems that we could be a different kind of community. A community of love, where we're willing to love an unwanted child, to love a mother faced with dreadful decisions and issues, and light, a community marked by sexual discipline, a community where we don't have many unwanted pregnancies because people have learned to restrain themselves by the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, it seems to me that's the hope of this nation. That's the hope of the nations. I don't think it's going to come through Parliament. We keep working to try and hold back the tide. We pray for those who are working there. But we need more gospel churches. We need more apprentices to run them. We need more gospel churches that can show a different way of life, marked by love 
and by light. Let's pray before we take a few questions. Father, you, you know our hearts and you know the, the darkness that has lain within for so many years. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus. How we thank you for him. Thank you that all our shame and guilt can be given over to him. Thank you that he died for the things we've done wrong. And thank you that now forgiven and uh, free from guilt, thank you that we can now be different. And although we're not what we will be when we're with you in heaven, thank you we're not what we were either. And that we are work in progress, that we are being changed by the Spirit of God. And we pray, Lord, that whether we're very new as Christians or have been Christians for many years, we pray you'd help us not to surrender to the way of the world around us. Pray, Lord, you'd help us to learn to love one another to the point where we can so love a mother with an unwanted pregnancy that we might actually be there as a church and as a group of churches to support those with unwanted pregnancies and even to support and to uh, care for unwanted children. And we pray, Lord, that we might be a community of light and not of the darkness that produces such sexual immorality and such damage to society. We pray that as a, as a church we might show a different way and that we might put aside and put off the old dirty clothes of the old way of life and learn a new way that is pure and, and good. And we ask Lord as a community to help us not to believe the lies all around us but instead to take up your way to wear the robes of righteousness that Christ lived to be like him, to become like him, and look forward to one day being like him in heaven. We pray that you'd fill our hearts with the hope that one day we will be like him and we'll be free from all darkness and full of his light. And in that hope, we pray that you'd send us out to make a change, to be different, and to talk to one another about how we can become purer as a church. We ask it for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Listen, I've, I've touched on, on, on uh, very personal issues tonight. I'm aware of that. Now, we can't avoid them. Uh, it may be that uh, you'd like to ask a question now. You'd maybe like to contribute a comment, um, some prophetic insight into the meaning of this passage. Um, and I'll take questions now uh, quickly. But it may also be that you want to talk to somebody uh, in more private. Uh, do talk to, to Jason or uh, Tracy afterwards, or to Matt and to me and to Carrie, uh, who was interviewing earlier. Come and chat to us. Uh, we're glad to talk to you. You can just come and talk about the weather or anything else, but if you'd like to talk to us about those issues, please feel free to do that. Are there any questions or comments that people would like to make? Well, I might ask um, uh, Jason if he has some reflection. I think the question is, um, the claim is made that lots of wonderful treatments might come from experimenting on embryos. Um, and what should our position be if um, such treatments uh, were discovered? I imagine the obvious answer is, uh, would we do the same to adults? So will, are we willing to kill 200,000 adults a year so as to get treatments um, for diseases? Um, am I being simplistic, Jason? 
So if you didn't hear what Jason was saying, he's just saying that there are alternative ways uh, of pursuing exactly the same research. Uh, we don't need to go down this road at all. Have I got that right? Yeah. Other questions or comments? The, the, um, I'll ask uh, somebody, somebody else can volunteer at the moment. The only thing I've discovered, um, you know, when the bad man's in charge and the evil desires are upon us, um, the question is, when you're in verse 14 and you're tempted to dwell upon how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature, um, all the blokes here are thinking sex, so I, I, guess, I guess there must be other sins as well. Um, that is to say, there are other sinful desires that we're um, tempted to uh, indulge. Uh, what I do actually is pray. So I just, I just um, I cry out and pray. Did God help me? Um, and, then, and then try and make it a little longer. And try and make it a bit longer. Um, I think when you're married, because the desires don't entirely go away when you're married, uh, one of the, the realizations is invest in your relationship with your marriage partner, so with my wife. Um, you say, look, I need to invest in that relationship. Um, but I find for other temptations the thing is to pray so if I'm walking down the street and there's all the uh, phone booths and all the pictures in them um, I mean the girls probably haven't noticed there are any pictures but all the boys know what I'm talking about um, you know you kind of you force yourself away you look at the windows and, uh, and then you pray dear God please help me just to do something right for a change and you keep walking you keep praying please help me just try and do this one thing right and then you get past and I think that's, I think, one approach. The other is to starve it at source. So it is such a relief when you can't watch things you shouldn't watch. So men are very visual. Uh, lots of men struggle with this. may not be everybody, but lots of men struggle with this issue. And uh, it, can I tell you, it is such a relief when you can't get to anything you shouldn't watch. So, um, you know, my wife has the codes to the, uh, um, the films at home. So on our, we're on our television, on our package. Um, I don't know the code for anything um, over a certain rating. I can't get to anything. Just ask Sean to know it, and I don't know it. And the kids haven't quite worked it out, but my teenage son, I think, has now worked out why that is. And I think he's glad too. So you just, I think when you starve it at source... Uh, that's one way of, of helping. So I'm just saying to everybody, just assume you're all as wicked as each other and, start, and just chop it off at source, as it were. Would be a suggestion. There's lots of boys kind of nodding at me, but um, any other comments? Any other um, commendations on how to... Yeah, Andrew. Far away. Yes, the question is, how do you reconcile still owing a debt to somebody when we also have the righteousness of Christ. I think it's the difference between righteousness imputed to us or counted to us and righteousness not yet ours. That is, um, righteousness in the Bible does mean that we um, owe obedience to God and we owe love, love to one another. Uh, we haven't lived that way and the perfect life lived in obedience to God and in love for others was lived by Jesus. So those debts remain... They're still our debts. We still owe, owe God to obey him, and we owe one another to love one another. Um, but because we'd go to hell if, that, if we didn't live like that, 
God has so kindly given us that life in Christ. It's counted as ours because he's our representative. But it's not yet fully formed in us. So God is making us more like that Christ-shaped life over time. But what that life looks like is fulfilling our debt to God and fulfilling our debt to to other people. So in one sense, the, the shape of the life still remains. So both are true. I am righteous in Christ, and yet I must still be righteous uh, as, as he is. So it's both at the same time. So I, I'm, because Christ is my representative, I'm saved in him. I have his robes of righteousness. But he also wants, to, wants me to make those robes my own, to make it true of my life. I haven't put that very clearly, I don't think, but Matt, have you got a better way of putting that? Debts can be burdensome ogres or grateful responses, yeah. Yeah, sometimes the debt to, to love other people is more difficult than with others. It's, some people are easier to love than others. But that's right, that in, because of, of God's mercy, there's plenty of motivation to want to fulfill that debt and not to regret it.